Good morning. I'm Deacon Tom Berg, the Chancellor of the Diocese of Columbus. I want to thank everybody for coming out on this very, very happy day. And um, briefly, we're going to have a few remarks from Monsignor Stephen Maloney, our diocesan administrator. Then uh, Bishop-elect Fernandez will talk for a little bit. Then we'll take some questions and answers from our friends in the media. And after the Q&A, um, Bishop-elect Fernandez will be available for some one-on-one -on -one with uh, each of you also. So um, with uh, that in mind, I invite Monsignor Maloney to come up and get us started here. Thank you. Good morning, and thank you, everybody, for coming out on short notice on a Saturday morning. We're so glad to have you join us and share in today's good news and the joy that we're feeling here in the Diocese of Columbus with the appointment of Father Earl Fernandez as the 13th Bishop of Columbus by Pope Francis. And on behalf of everyone in the Diocese of Columbus, I welcome Bishop-elect Fernandez to Columbus. He comes from the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and brings with him his many gifts, especially a deep desire to love and serve the Lord and all of God's people, not just here, but everywhere. Bishop-elect Fernandez is a native of Ohio, the son of an immigrant family, and his ministry and career are impressive and very distinguished, all of which is detailed in today's news release. We have absolute confidence in his ability to lead our Catholic community and continue the work of building God's kingdom here, which will foster the ongoing growth of our pastoral achievements and service. This is a historic time for the Diocese of Columbus, which is wonderfully dynamic and diverse. Father Fernandez, all of us in the Diocese of Columbus are praying for you that God will bless this transition so that the good work being done here in the name of the Lord continues effectively all throughout the 23 counties of the Diocese of Columbus. Now it's my pleasure to introduce Bishop-elect Earl Fernandez. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. As I begin, I wish to express my gratitude to God the Father, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit for the many spiritual blessings bestowed on me in my lifetime, as well as to the Blessed Virgin Mary, my patroness. I'm particularly thankful for my vocation as a priest. Every vocation is a gift whose purpose is to build up the church and to increase the kingdom of God in the world. I'm grateful to God, who first called me to be his child by adoption and baptism, and who later called me to the diaconate and priesthood, through no merit of my own. I am also grateful to our Holy Father, Pope Francis, who has given me the opportunity to proclaim the joy of the gospel in the Diocese of Columbus, the capital of my, of our beloved state of Ohio, the heart of it all. I pledge my loyalty to Pope Francis and to the College of Bishops in communion with him. I commit myself to working diligently with the priests, deacons, consecrated men and women, and the laity of the diocese 
to strengthen our bonds of communion with the Universal Church. I pray that our local church may fulfill the vision of Pope Francis for a missionary church, which touches not only the lives of the faithful, but also those at the spiritual and existential peripheries of our society. We have been given a heart that longs for truth, goodness, and beauty, a heart which can find fulfillment in the love that comes to us in Christ Jesus. I am also indebted to Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the Apostolic Nuncio to the United States, who informed me of the Pope's appointment for more than 10 days ago. I want to thank His Excellency for his spiritual fatherhood. I worked for him for three and a half years at the Apostolic Nunciature in Washington. I sat across from him every day for every meal, and he was a true spiritual father to me. I learned a lot from him, uh, especially at the time of my own father's death. I want to thank him for his, the service he has rendered to the church in the United States. And I also want to acknowledge the unsung heroes of the church in the United States, the staff of the Apostolic Nunciature, from the diplomats to the American priests and religious who assist with the work to the personnel. They are away from their families and their dioceses to serve the larger church, and they help to find the bishops who serve the people of God. They deserve our respect and gratitude for assisting the Apostolic Nuncio and the Holy Father. I want to acknowledge also the work of my predecessors. Their pictures are here on the wall, Bishop Brennan, Bishop Campbell, and Bishop Griffin, as well as that of Monsignor Maloney, who has served as Vicar General and the Diocesan Administrator. He might be the most relieved person and happiest person in the whole Diocese of Columbus today. Monsignor Maloney, who is also my brother's pastor at St. Andrews in Upper Arlington, has been so welcoming and helpful. And I'm sure he will continue to offer sage and sound advice as I learn the ropes of the Diocese of Columbus. With my appointment to Columbus, I will once again be leaving the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, where I've been happy to serve for nearly 20 years as a priest, as a parochial vicar at Holy Angels Church in Sydney, as a high school teacher at Lehman Catholic High School, as the academic dean and a professor of moral theology at Mount St. Mary Seminary of the West, and as a pastor of St. Ignatius of Loyola Church, as well as the administrator of Sacred Heart Church uh, in Cincinnati. I'm grateful to the late Archbishop Daniel Polarczyk, who ordained me to the diaconate and priesthood, and to Archbishop Schnur, who has guided the Archdiocese since December of 2009. I'm a young priest and a happy priest, and people always ask me, why am I smiling so much? And it's because of the joy that I experience simply in being a priest and serving the people of God. When I returned from my studies in Rome or when I returned from my service at the Nunciature, I relished the moments of fraternity I could have with my brother priests in Cincinnati. I have been sustained not only by them, but by permanent deacons and especially by the lay faithful who have been so supportive with their prayers and their words of encouragement. The companionship we share in Christ has been a real blessing in my life. Throughout my priesthood, uh, people have always asked, Father, what's your career path? What's your career path? I said, that's the wrong question to ask. If you ask me what would I like to do, I always said from the very beginning, I'd just like to be a pastor of a large parish with a large school and a large youth group, and that is enough for me. Well, God finally granted my desire in November 2019 when I was appointed to serve as pastor of St. Ignatius of Loyola Church in Cincinnati. It has about 3,000 families, it has 1,160 children in its elementary school, 
for a while there, I was by myself in that parish, uh, and we had to face uh, a, a global pandemic. Uh, a gl that global pandemic from which we are emerging did put a damper on some of our activities, but I was amazed at the faith and resiliency of the people of the parish. Even though my time with them has been brief, I've been blessed by them and am grateful for the experiences we've shared, especially those moments of prayer and the celebration of the sacraments. Now, as things are coming back to life after the pandemic, the gifts of the people are beginning to shine. And I have every confidence that they will continue to do everything for the gl greater glory of God, as St. Ignatius would say. I hope and pray that my ministry among them will bear fruit according to God's plan and timeline, just as I hope and pray that my ministry here in the Diocese of Columbus will bear abundant and good fruit. While I long to stay with them, a good priest once told me, you know, you can't have your vocation on your own terms. Our vocations have to be lived on God's terms. And God and the Holy Father have called me to serve the people of God here in the Diocese of Columbus. Having accepted the appointment to the Diocese of Columbus, I must admit that after Almighty God and the Holy Virgin, the people to whom I owe the greatest debt of gratitude are my parents, without whom I would be absolutely nothing. I am grateful for the gift of life and faith that they imparted to my brothers and to me, and for the many hidden sacrifices they made for us boys. I wish my father were here to see this day, and perhaps he will see it from heaven. Although my mother is frail, I am grateful she is still with us, devout and proud, as any mother would be. I must thank my four brothers, my oldest two, Carl and Trevor, emigrated along with my parents from India. We three younger boys, Ashley, Eustace, and myself, were born here. We grew up together on the east side of Toledo at St. Thomas Aquinas Parish, not far from an oil refinery. And there, amongst the poor of the east side, we learned the value, along with our peers, of hard work and simplicity of life. I could not have asked for better siblings. And despite the fun we poke at each other, with my, which my sisters-in-law get annoyed with from time to time, I believe that our bonds have grown stronger over the years. My 15 nephews and nieces have also been a blessing, six of whom live here in Columbus. My brothers all know Columbus well, much better than I, and so I look forward to coming to know the people of God in the diocese, both in the capital city and in the rural areas. I know my first parish was in Sydney, Ohio. I always said I was so bad when I got ordained, they sent me 100 miles north of Cincinnati, but it made me aware of people and their needs in the rural areas and to see, it helped me to see how devout and how faithful they were. So I, I'm interested not only in city folk, but also in the whole diocese. I'm interested in going to the parishes and being amongst the people and to working collaboratively with government officials and those of other faith traditions to bring about greater peace and justice, to demonstrate solidarity with the vulnerable, to defend human life and dignity, and to protect religious liberty within our communities. These days, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, speaks often of synodality. We're having a synod on, on, the, uh, on the synod, and many dioceses are engaged in a diocesan phase of the synod. The Pope wants a synodal church, a church that walks together. I look forward to walking with the people 
deacon, with the people, the priests, the deacons, and religious. Actually, the whole people of God in the Diocese of Columbus. I like to walk. I actually walk pretty quickly. Uh, and my parishioners have uh, affectionately uh, nicknamed me Father Speedy, or occasionally I get Speedy Gonzalez. People also notice that I talk pretty quickly from time to time. Uh, and, and they ask, well, why do you walk so fast? Why do you talk so fast? I don't like to waste people's time. And yet we also have to pace ourselves. But I look forward to walking with this local church. The Holy Father says sometimes the bishop has to walk in front of the people, leading them. Sometimes he has to walk amongst the midst of them, listening to them, their joys and sorrows. And sometimes he has to walk behind them so that no one gets left too far behind. I want to walk with the people of God here in the Diocese of Columbus. But a synodal church is also a church that listens. We must listen to what the Spirit has to say, as it says in the book of Revelation. I intend to listen carefully to the people and to the clergy. I am particularly grateful for the good work that Bishop Brennan did in building up the morale of the clergy. And I hope to be close to our priests, who will be asked to engage in pastoral planning through the Real Presence, Real Future initiative. But above all, we must listen to Almighty God, committing ourselves to prayer. We need to be a church that walks together and a church that listens. But a synodal church is also a church that discerns, that can recognize the reality of situations, that, being attentive to the, that can be attentive to the signs of the times, as the Second Vatican Council says, that can not only recognize the reality of a situation, but can interpret that situation and engage that reality in light of faith. And then having weighed the issues and deliberated about them using both reason and faith and prayed about these issues before God can eventually choose. Saint Francis, uh, Pope Francis describes discernment as being able to recognize, to interpret, and to choose. Ultimately, we want to follow the example of the Blessed Virgin Mary and choose with a decisive yes to God surrendering everything to the Spirit of God, trusting in divine providence. We want a synodal church. We want to walk together. But why and where are we going? To say I want a synodal church is not so much to say I want to have a program for every social and political reform. But really, we want to walk together and to have a synodal mindset for the purpose of evangelizing for bringing the joy of the gospel to every level of culture and to every heart, of helping individuals to experience the joy of God's merciful love, of helping them to understand that there is a place for them in the heart of God's family, the church. Our faith must attract. People do not come to faith because of a program. They come to faith because of Jesus Christ. Pope Benedict XVI, in his first encyclical letter, in the very first paragraph, said, being a Christian is not a result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. It is the result of an encounter with an event or a person who opens up new horizons and gives our life a decisive direction. The church wants to facilitate this encounter with Jesus Christ that changes our lives. And so together we get on the road. We will be on the road together. But where are we going? Hopefully, we are going to heaven. Ultimately, when we teach, sanctify, or govern, everything should be directed toward helping us to grow in holiness. Our Catholic schools should introduce our young people to friendship with Christ and to experience his love in the sacraments, especially in the Holy Eucharist. 
while educating the mind and heart in the things of God. The Pontifical College Josephinum, which is vital to the formation of the clergy and therefore to this diocese, will be close to my heart as we inspire young people to make a gift of themselves in humble service of the church. We have just com com uh, completed the Amoris Laetitia year of the family. I look forward to strengthening our families. If we have strong domestic churches, we will have a strong local church and, it can, advance, and can advance the kingdom of God in the diocese. Finally, I look forward to celebrating the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, the source and summit of all life in the church with the people of God here in Columbus. I would like to tell you what my priorities would be, but I think I need time to get to know the people and the culture here. I look forward to learning from all of you and to receiving continued instruction from God through the life of prayer. I do not know what the future holds. It is exciting, yet terrifying. Nevertheless, I've never refused to answer God's call, and God has never let me down. Relying on the help of God and knowing that I am loved by God and by so many people brings joy to my heart. I hope and pray that in being a bishop for you, you may tangibly witness my faith and love for Christ and for you, his people. I ask for your prayers for me and for the people of my parish during the time of transition, as well as for the people of the Diocese of Columbus, especially during this period between now and my ordination and installation on May 31st, the Feast of the Visitation, that day when Mary joyfully went to greet her kinswoman Elizabeth and John the Baptist left, leapt in the womb, for salvation was at hand. Please know that you are all now in my daily prayers. May we heed the words of St. John Paul II, who died on this day 17 years ago. Do not be afraid. Non abiate paura. Let us entrust ourselves to his prayers, as well as those of St. Joseph and his beloved spouse, the Immaculate Virgin Mary, confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. Veni Sancte Spiritus, veni per Maria. Thank you very much. Thank you, Father. Now we'll take questions, and when we're done with that, we can move into some one-on-ones for each of you. So, does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask now? You know, my parents gave me great example, uh, and so when my father was on his deathbed, he gave some advice to, uh, I said, Dad, do you have any uh, advice for your grandchildren, anything more you want to teach them? And there were many things. Um, the first is he said, tell them to remember their faith. Uh, it's not enough, though, to believe. They also need the sacraments. Tell them to go to Mass, go to confession. So remember it's to, to go to Mass and frequent the sacraments. He said, remember, tell them to be humble. Remember, there's always going to be someone smarter than you, faster than you, better looking than you. Um, but he quoted St. Francis de Sales. Be who you are and be that well in honor of the master craftsman whose handiwork you are. I think that was great advice. My father was a physician, 
and three of my four brothers are physicians. I myself was in medical school. Two of my sisters-in-law are physicians. So my father spent his whole life um, caring for the sick. And uh, he said, tell, tell them to protect and defend, nurture and cherish human life in all stages, no matter what. Um, he, in addition to telling them to be humble, he also said, tell them never to humiliate anyone else. And he told me a story of he was very poor growing up in India, and he had a relatively well-to-do uh, relative, and his, my grandmother made these special uh, uh, desserts. We call them kolkols, and hers were the best. And so he, my father went with a tray to this well-to-do relative uh, to knock because he couldn't give anything else for Christmas. And the um, relative took the tray from my father and threw it, threw it on the floor and says, whose birthday is it anyway? to humiliate him just because he was poor. My father said, tell my grandchildren never to do that. They should always treat everyone, including the poor, with respect. And I think that was great advice. I never really told anyone this except the Apostolic Nuncio when he told me of my appointment. I said, you know, I, my father then, I was about to walk away, and he took my hand, and he said, somewhat prophetically, he said, uh, I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know what the Holy Father will do in your regard. But if he asks, you must accept. He said, you know, we have some problems in the church, and we need good shepherds, shepherds after the heart of Christ. So remember to be humble. He said, remember your family origins, our humble origins. Remember your family. Remember your faith. And above all, remember Jesus Christ. We need shepherds after the heart of Christ. You know, and that was the last substantive conversation I had with him. He had had some surgery, then I went back to the nunciature. Some weeks later, uh, I got a call that he was on his deathbed. I came back, and he was not really, uh, he couldn't speak anymore, but I was able to be with him at the time of his death. So, you know, beautiful witness in life and death. You know, my mother was very devout. She would always say, you know, be, hum be a humble and holy priest. Uh, and I've not always been successful at that, but it's a, it's a good word of encouragement. You know, my mother, in some ways, my father had uh, been in the seminary at one point. He, when he died, I packed up all his books. He had 36 book, boxes worth of books in philosophy and theology alone, plus his medical books, plus his books in English literature. My mother had a simple piety, and uh, she tells me things like, always carry your rosary in your pocket. Uh, she would have a, a statue of the Blessed Virgin and uh, she would put the hands first of her children in the virgin's hands and at her feet, then and later on of her grandchildren. Um, she would say, you know, when I would be leaving the house to go back to the seminary or something like that, um, she would call me aside. Earl, Earl, come here. Uh, here's $20 for gas. And I said, Mom, I don't need $20 for gas. Here's $20 for gas. Mom, I don't need $20 for gas. And she'd try to shove it in my right pants pocket, a $20 bill, and I'd cover my hand. I'd cover that pocket. She tried to shove it in the left pants pocket. I'd cover that. She tried to shove it in my shirt pocket. I'd lower my chin and says, you need to be humble enough to receive a gift from your mother. And it's those types of things that have served me my whole life. I think maybe I learned more about life and faith from my parents when I was five years old, watching them pray and praying the rosary with them every day and with my brothers. Um, than I ever did in all my seminary and doing my doctoral work and things like that. In those days, my, di my dad was a, a doctor, so we, at those times, days you could uh, walk over to the hospital. We'd walk across the fields and go into the hospital, and we'd see my dad either studying in the library 
or on his knees in the chapel praying for his patients. So I learned a lot of things from my parents about simplicity of life, about being humble. I, I, I wish I would learn more. When I wake up in my parish, the first thing I see is my parents on their 50th wedding anniversary, a picture. And then on my dresser, there's a mirror. And so the mirror reflects uh, what's above my bed, and it's a picture of the sacred heart of Jesus. And then the next thing I see are all the sins of my whole life. And I, then I look back at my parents, and I think Jesus' heart is full of mercy, and maybe that's a good way. And then I think of my sins again, and that's a good way of staying humble and staying close to God. So my parents taught us in many, many ways. Uh, you know, when we were children, we prayed the rosary and you know, not only did we pray the rose, we also had to pray the Angelus. We had to pray the lit whole litany of Loretto, and we had to do so kneeling. So we tried to say our prayers as quickly as possible. Uh, my parents also taught us that we need to slow down. So uh, my father often from his chair would say, repeat, if we tried to say our Hail Marys too quickly. Because we'd say them like, Hail Mary, repeat. You know, so we have to learn also not to always do things quickly, but to slow down and to think about uh, what needs to be done and to not just say words, but to pray uh, from the heart. So that's, those are some of the things I learned from my parents. I could write books about it. Other questions? I, I believe that's true of the Diocese of Columbus. Um, and I would like to say this. I'm probably the first Indian American Catholic bishop in the United States. I mean, there's some probably for the Cyril Malabar and Malankara churches, but... Uh, I, there are a lot of Indian priests serving in the United States, and so there's a great deal of pride. You know, the, many years ago, someone, my Italian professoressa, she said, you know, Father, sometimes you call yourself uh, American, sometimes you call yourself Indian. I said, well, uh, when we're winning the gold medal at the Olympic Games, I'm American, USA, <laughs> USA. Uh, and when we're being kind of the loud American, I, you know, I'm, I'm Indian. Um, no, I, I'm Indian also because India, India has a great culture, a philosophy, a great religious tradition, a great tradition, a peace ethic. We think about Gandhi and so on. Uh, so I want to represent that well. But my parents also came uh, to the United States. My father wanted a better life for my mother and my brothers. And, and this land is a land of opportunity. And we have a great deal of freedom. My father was so much wanted. Keep in mind, my parents, when they were born, India was still ruled by the British. So they have a great appreciation for freedom and what this country can offer. And they inculcated that. My father so badly wanted to become a citizen. He knew there was a citizenship exam. He memorized the whole Constitution. I remember proudly how on July 4th, 1976, the bicentennial of the country, uh, he, we made all had signs. One boy, we were five boys. One had July 4th, one had 1776, one had the dash, one had July 4th, one had 1976. And my dad had fashioned a liberty bell, which hung from our porch, let freedom reign. You know, and so that was very important. So our I have the, the experience of being an Indian American, but the experience of growing up in an immigrant family. And sometimes you encounter some prejudice, okay? Um, my parents taught taught us, look, no one in this country is ever going to give you anything, so your boys are going to have to work hard, pray hard, and study hard. And the opportunities we have for education, especially in Catholic schools, are tremendous. Um, and so they inculcated the need to study and to work hard. And, and everyone in our neighborhood, uh, not just uh, we Indian boys, but everybody worked hard 
in those days, and I believe that there's a great value in, doing, in working hard for the glory of God. Uh, but many people in those days also um, didn't have work in the Carter Ford years. Uh, people in our neighborhood, their fathers were out of work sometimes for two years. And so the idea of having an opportunity to study and to work, but also I have a lot of, growing up in Toledo, you know, there are a lot of people from, who are, you know, Polish, Slovak, Hungarian, and their families in those days were all under, behind the Berlin Wall in, in Eastern Europe suffering under communism. And again, you know, it, it was a great thing when John Paul II became Pope, and then later on when I was in high school and the Berlin Wall came down, and the whole Eastern Europe became free. Uh, so there's something about that, but sometimes in life you do encounter prejudice, but you make the most of the opportunities God gives you. You don't, you don't let other people dictate your life or beat you down. Uh, it's not always as easy. You know, I had educated parents. My father was a doctor. My mother was a school teacher in India. Uh, later on, she went back to school, got a master's in education, master's in social work, worked at the university. I'm from a good family. My brothers are professional people. Uh, three are physicians. One's a magistrate. Um, I myself have a doctorate in moral theology. Um, I've worked at the Vatican Embassy, and still I encounter prejudice every now and again. And you kind of get this, I don't know how to describe it exactly, a kind of this warm feeling of between embarrassment and rage. And it takes a lot of spiritual and emotional energy to get over that. But these have been points in my life. You know, people uh, you know, accusing you of stealing, people throwing mud at you, people saying, no, we're looking for a different type of person for this job or that. It happens. Nevertheless, I also remember I am a child of God. I remember Jesus' words, know that I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. But as I was saying, I would say, look, given my education and family background, I have a lot more and spiritual formation, maybe resources than others to overcome some of these barriers. It's not always as easy as say, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. What was very eye-opening for me was Charlottesville. I was living in uh, Washington, D.C. at the time, working at the Nunciature. Rarely did I go out and say Mass publicly, but the weekend after that, or the weekend of that, I happened to be saying Mass at the George Mason University. And I think the thing that struck me at that time was, look, I, find, I experienced this at certain points in my life, but other people have to face this every single day. And it's simply not right. Growing up in a pro-life family, you know, very pro-life family, we emphasize the dignity of the human person. And that's in all stages of life. So I tend to see myself as a man, a human person made in God's image and likeness, worthy of care and respect. And every person on the face of this earth I see as my brother or sister. If you ask me, one of the things I greatly admire not only about someone like Gandhi, but John Paul II, is you don't have to use violence or be aggressive to achieve peace. I, every time we raise our hands, our arms against our brothers or sisters, we are diminished as people. Every time we carry out acts of violence against someone who is weaker or vulnerable, we are diminished as a people. And I'm not for diminishing people, I'm for affirming people and the dignity of the human person. And so I think we need to be very clear about what it means to be a pro-life 
and pro-family and build up the church uh, and the kingdom here in the Diocese of Columbus. One last word, um, one last word. Uh, some people do uh, ask me, is there anything else you like, you're looking forward to? And there are many things, there are many cultural things, many restaurants, many people I look forward to getting to know. Uh, last November, uh, there was no uh, Catholic bishop. Uh, at the time, Ohio State was playing the team from up north. I look forward to being the Catholic bishop uh, next year. I'll have my hands raised in prayer uh, when Ohio State takes on the team from up north. So look forward to that too.